Welcome to Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 7, a spooky little podcast where we talk about all things horror and ask, is it Halloween yet? I'm afraid not, ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. It's 145 days until Halloween. I'm your ghostess, Spencer, and this week we have a guest here at the crypt. You may know her from her fantastic Twitch series, Netflix and Chill, or as the co-host and editor of The Weekly Patch. It's the mistress of ceremonies herself, Kaylee. Hi! <laughs> so this week, we've got news, the penultimate Conjuring Verse episode, The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. But first, let's see what's on the slab. Social media fraternities, cyberbullying, and murder all come home when initiation comes to Blu-ray on July 20th. It, it, it's, a, it's a social media movie that's not a found footage movie, so... I don't know how that's going to go down, but I'm probably going to watch it. Probably am, I'm it. also probably going to watch it, but I'm a little sad it's not like I would have been way more into it if it was a found footage movie. That's no, they just person. keep popping up. It's like a Korean drama with like the text messages where like they just like appear Ooh. on the screen like around you and that. So it's very interesting. It's very high budget, too. So that looks interesting. Oh, nice. I'm always up here for a high budget horror. Yeah. South by Southwest cinematography winner Gaia will be heading to theaters on June 18th and to VOD on June 25th. Gaia tells the tale of an ancient organism that lurks in the forests of South Africa and the unlucky forest rangers who encounter it and a family with a cultish devotion to her. The trailer's really pretty. Like, as we'll get into in we talk about The Conjuring, that's my thing that I'm most disappointed about with Conjuring 3 is it looks like trash on top of not being good. Spoilers for the... It's so weird. It's I wouldn't even say it looks like trash in like the way that it looks low budget or something. It's just like specifically the cinematography and the, the frame scening choices and just... Yeah, yeah it's, it's so just like weird. tight shot. Tighter shot. Everything's tight shot, so tight. Tighter shot. Tight shot. Tighter it's shot. It's like, like watching Drag Race Down Under. Everything. Like, did they film this in a really small room and they're embarrassed? Why is everything so tight? Yeah. It's not even in a good, like, makes you feel claustrophobic kind of descent way. It's just like, could you zoom out a little? I'm like, a little? <laughs> Why just are a we tiny here? bit. Someone who doesn't have a problem with tight shots is... District 9 director Neil Blomkamp. He's back with a mind-bending tale of what looks like a virtual reality gone evil with Demonic. The trailer is out now and the movie will be heading into theaters on August 20th. I know a lot of people, including myself, have been disappointed with his work since District 9, but Demonic looks like the kind of medical technology meets horror movie that I want to see more of. I don't know what's going on in that trailer is really how, what it boils down to. I thought I worked at the movie theater when District 9 came out. And I thought District 9 was really, really boring, but it was very popular. There were definitely people coming to see that movie. And I was glad because everyone who worked on it seemed nice. And I really loved the A-Team and Charlton Copley, like his dream role was the role in the A-Team he got. So, you know, to see him get a win that was like critically acclaimed and a win that was like a childhood dream in the same year made me happy. But District 9 was like pretty boring to me. And so I have not been disappointed in his work since. I've been unsurprised by his work since. That checks out. It's he's very slow. Like if yeah. you're not into the slow like character stuff, like, I love the just... others. Like I'm not against yeah. a slow movie, but it was just yeah, it was very slow in a way where I was like, okay, well as long as it gets somewhere, oh, that's where it went. Oh, that's it. Okay, <laughs> well that was fine. Deadline is reporting that the excellent horror story podcast, The Horrors of Dolores Roach, is getting a green light at Amazon via Blumhouse Television. I didn't know Blumhouse had television. I mean, I'm not surprised, either, but, but I'm, I'm not I'm not shocked by it. But that makes sense. The title role will be played by Justina Machado, who will have some big shoes to fill as Daphne Rubin Vega play the titular Dolores Roach on the podcast. This is one of the best horror fiction podcasts I've listened to. People love Night Vale. I, this, I think it's better than that. I know there's going to be a lot of Sweeney Todd comparisons to the show coming. I think even the, yeah, the article from Bloody Disgusting calls out the Sweeney Todd comparison right away. But like that does a disservice about the show. Like it really does use horror effectively to talk about like incarceration and gentrification and like being poor in like Washington Square and New York and like so... I don't know. Don't don't just think like, ooh, it's a Sweeney Todd. 
but because there's cannibalism, but there's more. <laughs> it's more than just pies and people. It is. And because I can't get away from video game news, even if I wanted to this week, this E3 week, Netflix will be concluding its Geeked Week by teaming up with the Summer Games Fest, where we'll get updates about the next season of The Witcher and the new Resident Evil series. I'll keep you posted on that show, on next week's show, about what transpires, because the thought of adding another live stream to this week's schedule makes me want to head for the hills. I told you it's too much. Can't do it. I'm still like, I still need answers from Jordan, where he's like, you know what we need? We need even more events. That's what's going to help. And I'm like, no, no. Why would you want more events? Everyone gets their own, but they, they they tell you ahead of time when they'll be. It's like, yeah, it's better than this, but that's not, it's not ideal. I need like two weeks of equally timed events. Like everybody gets three a day. There's like one in the morning, one in the like yeah. noon time, one in the afternoon. And if it has to be two weeks to get everybody through it, then it does. But like, and it's just like a cycle that you can like manage because now it's like insanity. Mm-hmm. Speaking of insanity, it's that time of year again when every horror fan hopes that this season of American Horror Story won't end up a total trash fire. This year, Ryan Murphy is taking two swings at the American Horror Story brand with the mainline show's 10th season, American Horror Story Double Feature, hitting our screens on August 25th. But heading our way on July 15th is American Horror Story Stories. An anthology of one hour contains short stories. Personally, I think the spinoff sounds a lot more promising than a 10th season of a show that seems to lose the plot consistently five episodes in. But we'll have to see what Double Feature's concept is all about. Have you watched an American Horror Story lately? This motherfucker got me a few times where I was like, no, this one's going to end good. And I'm not going to lie. It was I got burned so bad on Coven. With the Stevie Nicks lover. And I kept watching for... I I tried... Oh, God. I watched season one, season two. I watched Carnival... I watched Freak Show. I watched... I I couldn't get... What really finally did the line. I'll tell you the first season I didn't watch. And that was Cult. The we're going to do like a Donald Trumpy themed one. I was like, nope, Ryan Murphy, you are in no way capable of doing that. I don't even need to watch. You haven't been able to do any of these not super politically charged topical seasons, right? You just biff them all. You get you get me good for those first couple episodes. You son of a bitch. Roanoke. Roanoke had me. It was found footage. You, uh, it's you so know good. It. And then it's so it's bad. so good. And then they got me. And that was it. And I think Roanoke was the one right before. I, I feel like Roanoke was the one right before called. There might have been more in between. But Roanoke was the last one where I, he got me. I watched Roanoke live as it was airing. And I was like, oh, man, it's found footage. It's got Lady Gaga again. And she was amazing in Hotel. This is going to be great. No, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. How dare you? I just wanted to pull him by the lapels and shake him. So, no, I don't watch American Horror Story anymore. But I'll tell you what's not promising. The fact that he couldn't decide between two cool concepts. So he's doing something called double feature. That's not promising. I do also agree that because he's really good at these, like, little premises and, like, individual episodes that, like, work by themselves but also feel part of a bitter narrative. If American Horror Stories is just, like... The best episode of every season of American Horror Story. What if just that episode? But like for seasons that don't exist, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. If every one of the things that was a hashtag is actually just one of each of the episodes of American Horror Stories and double features about something totally different. One, fuck you, Ryan Murphy, that would be such a great prank. Two, okay, I'm in. Okay, I'll give both of them a try because that was such a good prank. Yeah, I think the last one I watched all the way through was apocalypse and like that was just i almost gave that one a try because apocalypse promised that it might it gave the opportunity to redeem what they did to my stevie nicks and i was i waited until it was over to see what they would do and by then i stopped caring about american horror story so but they almost i watched because the guy who plays the devil was like perfect like the one who the kid who played the antichrist was just like perfect like he was the best part of that whole season and I was like, okay, well, you've got me because I want to see what happens with him and what how crazy he's going to get. And then it was just like, that's it. That, 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 that's yeah, it. It's American okay. Horror Story. 
Got you. Got you. Yeah. And then the slasher one, I think, was because there wasn't one last year because of the pandemic. And so I think oh, the, I remember the slasher, slasher one, one yeah, was the, the last one. one. And like it was just too was much fine. Emma Roberts for me to. I would, and that's the other thing. I don't, I don't partake of Emma Roberts. I don't, I try to limit my partaking of like domestic abusers to as low as I possibly can while still living in a capitalist society that rewards domestic abusers if they're rich enough. Correct. So we are getting a behind the scene look at both Shaun of the Dead and Evil Dead in the form of a book and a documentary. You've got read on you how Shaun of the Dead was brought to life documents the creation of the beloved Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg movie, Shaun of the Dead. It'll be headed to bookstores just in time for Halloween on October 19th. Then in July, we're getting treated to Hail to the Deadites, a look at the fans and the people who created the Evil Dead and the community around it. Evil Dead's going to be 40 years old this year. Shaun looks great, by the way, just for the record. Yeah. It's all that Oregon sunshine. Hey. He owns a lavender farm here. So what a perfectly just a great man. <laughs> Hail to the Deadites will be available at your local S Mart or on VOD on July 27th. We've got more Evil Dead news. I don't know how quite how I feel about this news. Evil Dead Rise has begun production in New Zealand. There's no official release date for the film, and it's we know very little about it beyond that it deals with two estranged sis- sisters and their stay in a deadite-infested cabin. We also know that it will build off the original trilogy and not the excellent 2013 remake by Fede Alvarez. I like the 2013 one. I didn't I, see it because people said it was really gory. I'm not it's very fan. gory. Yeah. It's very gory and very scary. The and old ones are gory, but in that old horror movie way where, like, any old horror movie can be as gory as it needs to be. But after you get to, like, the early 2000s and gore starts looking a certain way is when I'm just like, no, thank you. I'm not a fan. So I didn't see that Evil Dead, but I remember it being very well received, to be honest with you. I remember people compl- being like, it's really scary. Like, just a fucking heads up. Like, people not be complaining, but, like, warning others. Like, I loved it. It was way scarier than I was expecting. But I remember being well-received. I just didn't watch it because people were also very clear it's very gory. Same reason I have watched Invincible. Like, people really like that show. I'm glad it got renewed for two more seasons. But I saw a clip, and I've asked a lot of people, like, is this clip indicative of how gory the cartoon is? Because I just, I'm not a big gore fan. It's very, uh, Invincible is very gory. We yeah. just started that's that That's what everyone morning. says. I just <laughs> so started, like, yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you to Invincible. Even I'm with sure car- great. Even with cartoons, it's like shocking how like yeah. gory Usually it is. I have a animated. much higher tolerance for gore with cartoons, but I saw a clip that was just like, oh my God, I'm surprised that a cartoon's gore could bother me. And I was just kind of just, no, no thank you. I'm good. It's 2021. I'm tired. Yeah. I to see it. <laughs> well, lucky for you, this next movie probably will have very little gore or it could have a lot of gore probably considering who's making it. Who knows? Rob Zombie confirmed this week that his next movie will be the much-rumored Munster movie. Not much is known about the project, but a lot of chatter has been said about how this may just be a Peacock-exclusive project, which I don't like that Peacock and... What's the one Rugrats is on? Paramount Plus. They're not doing... They're not doing theatrical releases for a lot of their, like, premiere movie stuff, which I just feel like sucks for those movies yeah i, I have movies Peacock, in the too. so i'm kind of like okay whatever i mean i have it so fuck it but i would hope not because who the fuck has peacock i have peacock because it's free with my internet <laughs> like <laughs> they forced us to have it i was like fine whatever it's free it's free <laughs> i know a lot of the internet loves to hate zombies movie and style but i think that a film a project like this could use someone who has like a lot of like strong art direction like you may not like rob zombies movies but every one of his movies has like a very distinct art direction and a oh, style sure. so like and the thing that i didn't know so i'm not sure how many people who aren't like really really into it know is that rob zombie is a huge monsters fan and he's actually been chasing this project like this has been his dream project for two decades like when this project was announced he was like this is 20 years of work 
everyone knows I fucking love the monsters. And I was like, you fucking love the monsters? What did that? I, I, of course no, he I does, right? <laughs> but apparently he is a like low key, huge monsters fan. So I don't think we're going to see like a gritty monsters reboot, which is what I think people are afraid of and why they're like dunking on it is they're afraid of like redneck monster, like cannibals. But if he really does love the monsters, I would see him going more of like a like super, super unexpected and subversive, but in the sense that it's so like clean, like just a, a really tight, like leave it to beaver style. We were talking before recording, but I was like, what if it was like the early black and white WandaVision episodes where it was very yeah. clearly like perfectly set, like perfectly capturing the black and white TV aesthetic, but like satirizing it in a really intelligent way that but the monsters like imagine if rob zombie came out something like that people would be like oh shit and i think, I think people, he has that in him i think people who think of him only as the like redneck zombie guy like movies like you ha- clearly haven't seen lord of salem that really doesn't that's like yep. one of the best witch movies like ever made so i just think like he's definitely done a lot to get that title and but i think he's also done a couple movies more recently that like break away from that formula i think he i think after halloween he's kind of like said what he needed to say like using that imagery because it's his movies have been seemingly very different after halloween like 31 feels very strange to be like that movie's just so weird (laughs) also weird we have what might be the weirdest story of the week Conjuring 3 and Curse of La Llorona director Michael Chavez says that the Curse of La Llorona isn't actually a part of the Conjuring universe. This makes absolutely no sense, and there's a huge difference between Easter eggs and giving characters speaking roles and parts to play in both stories, never mind the fact that Annabelle herself shows up. The movie's even marketed as by the producers of The Conjuring. Why bring this up now? Why not bring it when the film was rolled out? Conveniently now, the film that received the worst reception of the Conjuring verse isn't actually a part of it. And it's like on a technicality. He's like, well, all the producers weren't a part of it. And all of the team wasn't a part of it. There was one, specifically not even like not the whole team. Well, one of the producers wasn't involved. So technically it can't be fully in the series. And we didn't plan to market it so heavily as in the Conjuring universe. It was just supposed to be like a flash of the doll and also like a whole ass fucking character is in it. But you know. The characters were getting it. Father Perez being in it and then like them being like, but no, it's not. Like he's just involved in other creepy, like he belongs in another universe. Like, what are you trying to say? Like, make a better movie, bro. Don't be embarrassed. Just do better. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. All right. So finally, we've got to get to the box office news. Something that's become quite normal in the last year is two horror movies topping the weekend box office. The Conjuring 3 came in on top with an estimated global total of $57.1 million. That breaks down to $33.1 million overseas and $24 million here at home. That's about $40 million less than The Conjuring 2's opening weekend in America. So I don't know what that says about The Conjuring 2. But The Quiet Place... (laughs) Two, which is also a sequel, came in with a second weekend of 19.5 million and has had 88 million domestically over the last two weekends. So it's not that people don't want to watch horror movies, I don't know, or even if they don't want to go to the movie theater. The Quiet Place 2 wasn't on a streaming service, so you couldn't just stay home and watch it on HBO Max. So that might be that everyone was just like, I'm going to stay home and watch it on HBO Max, but like, I don't know. Maybe people are just tired of The Conjuring at this point. This is like the I hope so. The seventh movie. or the eighth, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> Conjuring movie. I cannot believe it. I like it. Just no. See, one of the producers wasn't involved, so actually, technically, this character that was directly foreshadowed in the conjuring movies and shares a character with the conjuring movies and features another demon from both conjuring movies in the form of an actual real life doll prop that's in both movies no it's different 
I can't remember. Does La Llorona show up at the end of one of them? Yeah, I thought she showed up at the end of the second one. That's why it was like you knew La Llorona was coming. Yep, no, you're right. The song is heard at the end credits of it. Like, the reason everyone was like, oh, La Llorona's coming is because it was foreshadowed in the previous Conjuring movies. That's why we all were like, yeah, La Llorona. Fuck yeah, that's the new spinoff. Cool. That does it for the news this week. Now we're going to talk about The Conjuring 3. And if you've heard The Conjuring 2, The Conjuring 1, you know that I am not going to just talk about the movie. We're going to have to talk about the Warrens. And I just can't with the warrens i'm glad this is like almost it i'm like almost at the end i gotta do all of the wrap-up ones next week and then it's over <laughs> so i'm just tired of talking about the it's warrens never over. <laughs> it will be i don't think they're gonna make another warren movie i think we've I seen I, I think not. them and i think i think the end of this movie is the like farewell and the send-off the entire movie was just like a weird warren porn it was so strange so how do you want to go about it do you want to talk about the movie first and then get into all the stuff that's going on around yeah, it? yeah so let's talk about the movie and like just like pretend like the movie is just a movie in a bubble because yeah. in a bubble it's already like enough to talk about <laughs> and then we'll get into why like because the end of the day like you could have two separate conversations but without even seeing the movie the movie is immoral and shouldn't exist. And we're that's like a whole conversation we'll have. Kind of just like, you know, we'll have that conversation. But here's the actual movie and why the movie's a bad movie, let alone the people making it bad people. Like Right. It's like here's why it's bad and here's why they're bad. Like oof. Yeah, I so I like like Conjuring 2 is probably one of my favorite like horror like haunted house horror it movies it really hyped me up for conjuring 3 conjuring 2 was really good but i always felt like it was really good because i thought conjuring 3 was going to be even better than it and yeah. now like the more time passes i watched conjuring 2 in theaters and i didn't watch it again until like a year ago because yeah. i was waiting for conjuring 3 to come out to come out to come out and then all of these spinoffs are coming out that were shitty We've gotten like one good spinoff. So it's like I've been waiting for all these shitty movies to come out. And so like my love for Conjuring 2 kept getting diminished because every time I watched, I watched it again. I was like, man, I remember when I was like, oh, the crooked man's going to like get its own movie or is going to be like, I thought the Conjuring 3 would involve the crooked man in some way. And now we know for sure it didn't. But when it was announced what Conjuring 3 was, that killed all absolute hype because I was like, oh, that's immoral. But I was like, oh, so not nothing to do with the crooked man. No. Okay. This seems more like about the Warrens than it is about a haunted house or anything. Like, I liked... The Country 2 was great because it was, like, this really cool house. And it was, like, in, a, in England, which is, like, just a slightly... It's, it's like, uncanny valley America. Everything is just a yeah. little weird. You know, yeah. so as an American especially, everything's a little unsettling because it's, like, the beds are a little bit different size. And the houses are set up different. And there's, like, I don't know, chimney sweeps or whatever. Just even the idea of, like, council housing. Like, we don't yeah. really have that. So. Um, I remember looking up council housing and being like, shit, I wish we had council housing. You know what the. Right. Growing up in, like, the projects and go finding out what council housing is and just being like, they get They houses? do what? They just get. And I'm watching. the Part of watching the contract, too, was being like, I'm sorry. This was public housing they were living in. It yeah. has multiple stories. They had that many kids and not everyone had to share one big room. What the fuck? Yeah. No one was sleeping in the living room? Like, yeah. Crazy to me. It's Yeah, it's insane. I also think that they do a good job of bringing, like, I talked about it last week, but they do a good job of bringing the skeptical perspective that really flavors that whole poltergeist, like, story. They aren't afraid of the not-so-truthful elements of the story because they're willing to be like, well, here's all these other people who also investigated it and they thought it was a hoax. They do a thing where it's, ah, it actually isn't a host. It's this demon. But it makes that better in a way. Like, you feel like it's actually real. Where I feel like they're so, because they probably know it's, like, super dicey to be doing a thing where a guy actually died, right? Like, they're real, like, cagey about 
any of the things that would be like yeah. put the Warrens or anyone in this movie in a bad light. So here's the weird part. So this movie, <coughs> yeah, for those who don't know, The Conjuring 3 is called The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. And that is in reference to the defense that was used in the murder trial of Arnie Johnson, who killed his landlord. And we'll get into the details of the murder, but just, you know, he was the first person in U.S. law to use the I was possessed by demons defense. It had actually been used in England prior, and I knew this, but the movie actually does. To its credit, I was I was surprised that it referenced this. The movie does say, like, this isn't the first time ever in England, like 30 years prior, they had tried the demons made me do a defense. It didn't work then because demons aren't real. And so they're like, yeah, but we're going to do it anyways. And it sets it up like I was prepared for a God's Not Dead style courtroom drama proving demons are real. And I was confused how that was going to be scary. That was my first confusion. Like, this is a courtroom drama. How are you going to make it a scary movie? That's weird. So that was my first thought. But the movie doesn't do that. The movie spends so little time on the actual trial and barely mentions the outcome for obvious reasons. Right. (laughs) So it's like there's constant questions of why did you choose this case to make a movie about? You seemed to want to make a movie about how the Warrens are an amazing love story that have helped countless people. And even when they get it wrong, they come back to make sure that they don't they do right by the family. And you could have picked way better examples. And I don't I don't understand why the trial needs to be used. So the movie itself starts. Oh. Does it start with the 911 calls with the little boy? How does it even start? No, it starts with the exorcism. Right. Of the little boy. Of the so of the brother. Yeah. In in real life, there was this like 10-year-old kid whose parents were like he's not schizophrenic he's possessed by demons because this is the height of the satanic panic like this is 1981 this is when the satanic panic is really getting juicy so these parents are like my son is definitely possessed by a demon and that's why he's you know having seizures and like you know doing other things that like there's look up any person that's been accused of being possessed and it's just the specific type of mental illness or a couple untreated mental illnesses. But it's one of those situations. And so the Warrens are like, yeah, we're going to exercise the shit out of this child. And they do so. And then a few weeks later, the fiance, soon to be husband of this little boy's sister murders his landlord. And as the police are investigating this murder, Lorraine Warren contacts the authorities to let them know, oh, don't worry, that dude, he was possessed by demons. I just exercised his girlfriend's little brother. And the demon clearly, obviously, must have gone into his body as a result. And that's why he murdered his landlord. Now, he murdered his landlord when he decided not to go to work and his landlord bought him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's sister and brother and a friend and his sister's daughter, who was seven years old and present at the time of the murder, Correct. all lunch. This landlord bought them all lunch, bought them all booze, got everyone shit-faced. He got shit-faced. He started dancing with this dude's girlfriend. Dude gets pissed, murders him in a drunken rage. Lorraine Warren's like, nah, dude, it was demons. And like, that's the case. I've now seen this movie twice because I watched it when we watched it and then I had to watch it again. So my I should have watched it again. It. I thought about it, but I was like, it's bad and I'm by myself, so fuck it. Yeah, and so I watched it the second time and I think when I watched it the second time, the thing that got me the most upset about it was how they treated the victim of this thing. In they make him movie- out to be a fucking asshole by when all intense purposes like what we know about him from like people around town and like stories about him he is was that, like a dog boarder he, he owned was a, a dog- boarding house for dogs and he let them live there rent free if they helped him take care of the dogs so they keep you, you see the term landlord used to describe him and he wasn't even charging rent he was yeah. like will you play with my fucking dogs and you can have a place to live 
Yep. And I feel like they make him like they make him mean towards the dogs in the movie. They, they imply like, that he was trying to rape the sister. Like, let's just say it. Yeah. They implied that the that Arnie Johnson went into a murderous rage because he saw the victim as a demon as the victim was sexually assaulting his fiance. And so to save his fiance from sexual assault, he murdered the demon and then the demon becomes the victim. That's how yeah. it's portrayed in the movie. Yeah, and I think that this is a real person. I hope now it's clear why I went so hard on the first one with Bazabat Sherman because I got a couple people who were, she died in like 1885. If they were willing to make up like complete lies about someone who died that long ago, they're just like setting themselves up to be like justifying why it's okay to like make up lies about someone who was murdered like almost in my lifetime. Yeah. So it's just that was really tasteless. But the weird part was it starts with the exorcism of the little boy. And it's your standard like all the Conjuring movies like to do that where they start like towards the end of the previous case. I was waiting. I thought the final Conjuring movie would be the Amityville Conjuring movie and it would loop into the opening of the first Conjuring movie. To be totally honest, that's what I've been waiting for this whole time was the last movie would be Amityville because the first movie is the end of the Amityville house little personal what they could have done james wan loves that cyclical all my movies link shit anyways so whatever fuck me but it starts with the exorcism and you're like groovy conjuring you know it's a it's a whatever they have the adorable little boy from the haunting of hill house the one that played I baby Luke actually don't glasses. think it is the dude from I, I am, it's I not I it looks just like him it's just like I, cute little fucking white kid with glasses i'm such a sucker for him yeah, he's so cute and he he's does so look cute. like that kid, but I don't think it is because I... And he was actually really good. So I thought this kid was going to be in it a lot more because I thought the scary parts were going to come from, you know, his... The the answer was always that Arnie Johnson didn't have the demon in him very long. It was in this, like, eight-year-old kid for most of it. And so I was expecting, like, a... You know pre like a flashbacky type movie i was expected the courtroom to serve as the framing device and as like different people come to the stand to talk about what happened like this night or that night you would get these like pieces showing you how the family realized that the little kid was possessed and how they ended up in contact with the warrens in like kind of typical conjuring fashion like you it starts with the family and the warrens get brought in after the family's already been dealing with this by themselves enough that like you get connected to the family you're desperate for someone to help them and you have that kind of like savior feelings towards the warrens that they've kind of conjured up correct <laughs> in the last two movies by doing that they make you connect with this family in the last two and they make you desperate with the family for anyone to help and then they have the warrens come in and make everything okay and so you feel these like oh my heroes you saved the day feelings towards the Warrens. And so, you know, this was supposed to be the one time that they fucked up and they thought they saved the day and then, you know, Arnie murdered somebody. So that's what I thought it was leading up to. And this was supposed to be told as like Ed and Lorraine, like repentant and like their biggest failure type thing and like how they fucked this up. And it kind of does that. It does the exorcist thing with the little boy. And then you see Arnie get possessed. And then you see Arnie and his girlfriend be like, oh, let's get our own place. And then you see the day of the murder and you see the murder happen. And you see Arnie dazed walking down the street, getting picked up by a cop saying he thinks he hurt somebody, which is very similar to what happened in real life. He was just covered in blood, walking in a trance, well, like comatose, just walking. Oh, no, you are right. It is. The, it is. It's Julian Hilliard. We thought it was a different actor, but it is the guy. It is the kid from Hill House. He's so cute. He's just. He's got also that... in WandaVision. Oh, is he? Oh, is he yeah. one of the twins? Yeah. Oh, that's cute. See, he's a cute little kid. I just love him. He's just, I want to pinch his little cheeks. He's, his face was made for giant oversized glasses, and there's nothing cuter than a kid with giant oversized glasses. And he keeps getting played in the, he keeps getting put in these movies that take place in the past so he can wear giant 80s oversized glasses, and it just keeps making me happy. So shout out to him. He's the best part of this movie, and he should have been in it more. Because you get the murder, and then you get the Warrens being like, you know, you get his girlfriend calling the Warrens like, what the fuck? He murdered somebody. He's in jail. You said the demon was gone. What's going on? And it's like, oh, shit. The Warrens go to the courthouse with the lawyer and they're like, we're going to plea. You know, where they're setting up this court thing. They're like, we're going to plea demon possession. And the judge is like, you can't do that. That's nonsense. And they're like, there's precedent in Britain. 
And the judge is like, yeah, but you're not going to sit here and try to prove the demons are real in my courtroom. Pick a real defense. I think that was the defense attorney because that's where they make the Annabelle joke. And it was like any like it, it, it wants to be both things. It wants to be based on true life and it wants to connect to the Annabelle series, which is not based on anything because Annabelle isn't a Raggedy Ann doll. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's loosely based on the Raggedy Ann case that they did. But like. He says he makes like that quip. He makes the quip to the defense attorney because I don't think it's the judge. I think it's the defense attorney mm. that he's talking to when he says like the existence of God and stuff. Right. He. He makes the Annabelle quip. And then I thought we were going to get a like scene where like we see Annabelle do her like. Demony Annabelle shit to like scare the defense attorney but it just cuts to the defense attorney being scared it was like any time there was a chance for them to be like here's a de- an actual demon they were like no demons there's no creatures there's no demons we're not doing any of that and i'm like but this is a contrary yeah, this that's is the kind thing. of what you do the demon the way that they set this up and the reason there's no demon is just the way the demon works is that the demon will possess you until you murder someone so because arnie murders someone at the beginning of the movie the demon goes away but then the demon's like low key possessing him throughout the movie, so it's like, what the fuck? Did the demon go away? It's or not did the a demon. demon. Not go away because it's, it's not, not a demon. demon. It's the it's, it's a Satanist person yeah. in real life that uses her magic Satanist powers. They just they're real. She has magic, real Satanist powers to control his mind and make him think that the demon's still possessing him. Like it's it's just nonsense all the way down. But. I thought it was the judge because in real life what happened is they did try to plead demonic possession and the judge did say, get the fuck out of here, give me a real defense. True. And they pled not guilty for reasons of insanity. Or then they changed it to not guilty for like self-defense. Yeah, and I think they and they also then ended up pleading it down from murder one to manslaughter. Yeah, and so then he, he got, got manslaughter for fi- he got manslaughter. I think he was supposed to serve fifteen, and he served five, and then he was in a mental institution for a minute. But then he's out. He just got out. He's free now. This guy that murdered somebody with a family, and that family's very much still alive. He's out of jail right now. So that's fun. He got to go see this movie in theaters. This movie about him and how the problem is is that the movie shows the exorcism of this little boy and the little boy is basically about to die because of the exorcism. And so Arnie's like, take me demon, possess me. And he heroically takes the demon into him to save the little boy. So when later he murders somebody, he's like, it's okay. I'm, you know, I murdered somebody, but it was to save this little boy. So it it makes him out to be a hero for murdering someone, a real person. He murdered a real person, but it's okay. He's a hero because he did it to save a little boy's life. And that person he murdered, they were kind of a dick. It's fucking bizarre. It's just so beyond what's acceptable when you're dealing with real people. And I thought we're well past true crime podcasts, like, really hammer homing the idea that if you're going to talk about true crime, your focus needs to be on the victim and not on the thing. It's like that terrible Zac Efron. Who is he? Serial killer. Ted Bundy. Uh, that terrible like, Ted Bundy. I always it's not Dahmer. Bundy mixed up. I know. I was like, not Dahmer. Who's the other one? It's the charismatic one. Yeah, <laughs> um, right? But that Zac Efron movie is just like a total like, look at Ted Bundy. Isn't he hot? He has girlfriends. Ted Bundy fucks. And you're just like, what are we doing? yeah no unacceptable and this just feels like this this feels like a movie that would have been made in the 90s not in a society that has internalized that if you're going to talk about true crime it's about the victim i think that's one of the reasons that it's such a problem that this movie like the, the the conjuring 3 has come out in 2021 the original conjuring came out in 2013 and you're right. I think that, like you say, the 90s, I would even say that this is a right around here, like a 2008 to 2014. We weren't thinking about things like this. And it feels like this movie was written and delayed for a fucking half decade plus. And if it had come out in like 2018, even, I don't know if we would like, we would have been like, oh, this is, feels a little weird, but we wouldn't know why. And we'd look back and go, oh, God. Yeah. But. This movie is just, we are past this movie as a society. We really are. And that's that's the bottom line. And I think they know that. And that's why they turned so much of it into 
let's you know pay attention to the Warrens and this great Warren love story for some fucking reason and half of this movie is just like Warrens are the new Harley and Joker like stupid people might think that they're a great couple but then if you learn anything about them you'll be like oh god he had a 15 year old girlfriend that he had raised their child while they did this that's the thing that is crazy to me. Talk about their 15-year-old like, girlfriend. I really wanted to get you... I really wanted to segue into a place where you could talk about their his 15-year-old so girlfriend. I talked about it last week, too, and I'll talk about it again because I just... No one is talking about it. Like, yeah, literally no one, no is. one is talking no about it. No one is talking about it. There was one Reddit thread that said, Google, Google Judith Penny. And it was, like, downvoted to, like... That was it. That was the whole title. There was no body. It was just, please Google Judith Penny, listen to her story. And like, she was 15. And like, she, like the end, there's a Hollywood Reporter article. I talked about it last week. I'll link it this week. The end of that Hollywood Reporter article will always be the thing I think about when I think about this movie, because she talks about how much she gave up and how like mad she is that she like allowed herself to be in a relationship with Ed for that long and how she how much she gave up and like what she lost because of it and she's just like broken up about it which is just like and then we get to see this thing where it's like Ed Warren randomly saves his wife from wandering off a cliff but he's got that bad ticker because of Satan yeah, that's the other. That's why he does. That's why the Warrens don't know they didn't anything wrong because Ed sees it and then he has the heart attack, mm-hmm. which is just like okay. But like Patrick Wilson is part of the reason why I come and watch these movies. I don't need to be pat- see Patrick Wilson sweating and like panting, it which was is like what weird. he does like ninety percent of this movie. It's so weird. He's like in and out of the hospital. You'd think that the real Ed Warren died in like nineteen eighty three. He died in the two thousands. So I don't know why the fuck they were like, it's really important to us for us to establish that Ed Warren was like one cheeseburger away from keeling over when this fucking situation was going down. Because he lasts for a minute, a sweaty, sweaty minute. <laughs> what really gets me is we do all this. And so we're at the the part where I thought the trial was going to start. Where they, like, go to the defense attorney and are like, okay, you guys don't understand the defense is that a demon did it. He didn't do it. And then the movie cuts to when the little boy and his family move into the house and he originally gets possessed by the demon. And at this point, we're, like, 15, maybe 20 minutes into the movie. And I thought it was maybe even earlier. Maybe it was only like 10. But it, you know, it, was a, it was good enough in that I was like, oh, now the movie's about to start. Because what I thought was about to happen is we were going to see a real-ass Conjuring film that was going to show, you know, him get possessed. Which actually, that part was really cool. Those, like, five minutes, that scene with this really well done, like, this, this kid actor is a great kid actor. So he's amazing in it. Him, there's a waterbed because it's 1981. So there's like this really creepy waterbed scene where he gets possessed after fucking around on this waterbed and like a demon like engulfs him and it's really cool. And you think like, okay, now we're going to see how they find out who the fuck the Warrens are. We're going to find out how we got to the beginning of the movie. And then once we catch up with the beginning of the movie, we'll go through like the real, we'll rush through the, and then the defense didn't work. And then he ended up getting found guilty. And then he went to jail. Sorry about it. And then movie ends. But instead we get that one scene and then it cuts back to the hospital and Ed Warren's ticker And then it's just Ed and Lorraine Warren just holding hands and talking about their first date and just being couple goals for like 45 minutes in between scenes of this really strung out looking kid in an old school like hospital mental asylum jail losing his fucking shit and and mopping floors yeah like losing his mind like tripping on really bad shrooms the whole movie while they're like oh we just love each other so much they're giving each other butterfly kisses and shit the thing i don't like about it is it has a it has a mortal combat problem so like Mortal Kombat, I can never remember all the bosses' names, but it's like in the first Mortal Kombat, like the main guy, is it Shang Li? Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn. 
is well, the Shao first Kahn, one. Who's his boss? Shao Kahn's his boss. Okay. So then it's like, but that's the problem. Like, it's like, there's like one boss, like there's one guy you think is like the ultimate whatever in that universe, right? And like, they have built the Warrens to be like the ultimate cult people in this universe, right? Except for that then they're like, but you're not. It's actually this father who had a kid and you're just like, what? Yeah. So then they introduce this random, they refer to him as a former father. Because he retired. Not that because he's no longer a man of the cloth or he's given up his faith. Oh, he's no longer like a, a father of a church. He's retired. So he's no longer considered a father. He's a former reverend. I didn't think that you retired from the title. Like retired doctors are still called doctors. You don't interrupt somebody to be like, actually, they're retired. It's like, okay, still father, okay. whatever his name is, but that's cool. So you have this this really old reverend whose house is like, what if the Warren's like living room display of horrors was like Gandalf-ified? It's like, ooh, there's more books and paperwork and like a couple skulls and, you know, it's just him. But he's got all his own spooky artifacts from all of his things. And they just really want to set up that he's like an older more seasoned the warrens and it's like okay i guess that would make sense to exist but and they weird do he's just coming up now they do that and they introduce like a huge plot hole that drives me crazy about this movie they do that by saying he is the guy who broke up the cult of the 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 cult of the followers of the ram which is the same cult that the original Annabelle that went into the doll, she cuts her throat because she's a member of this cult and doesn't want to like get caught by the cops, but she like does the ritual and goes into the Annabelle doll. And they're the people who worship the Annabelle that lives inside mm -hmm. Annabelle. Where the fuck were you when Annabelle, when all these Annabelle movies were happening exactly. from like That's my 1950 thing. something to 1977? Like there's 20 years and you're in the church. You're the guy who busted up that cult and like brought those people you back. You think he was the star Where of the those movies? Were you? <laughs> like if you hadn't seen the Annabelle movies and you just saw this one and you heard them be like, oh, he's the guy that busted up the Annabelle cult. You'd be like, oh, he must be like the star of all. And you see him age progressively and he's the star of all. No. No, he's never in any of the Annabelle movies. Because again, I don't actually mind the concept of like an older, more like seasoned Warrens, but I mind it in The Conjuring 3, seven movies into a series. That's when I, when he's written in to sh probably should have shown up already. And then, yeah, so what happens is he's introduced very briefly. And to be honest, I was confused why he was introduced because they don't feel like they need him. Doesn't feel like they like this doesn't feel beyond the Warren's normal scope at any point. But for some reason right. they reach out to him and he's like, Yeah, I'm like you, but better. And it's like, cool, okay, I guess. And then they ignore him until the end of the movie, where they realize that this whole time the the for some reason there was there wasn't enough victims. So this movie makes up more murders. They make up this like college age girl who gets sent this evil satanic totem and murders her best friend for the cult and then kills herself. Oh, and, you like, thought she was your best friend? I definitely thought that that was queer coded. And oh, no, like, it was queer coded. Way go, guys. Yeah. You're fucking out here murdering. Yeah. But they, they refer to each other. They, they refer to her as her best friend. And then in the murder scene, it's because that's the thing. They're only referred to as best friends. And then in the murder scene, the murderer outs herself as a lesbian and outs her lesbian feelings for the friend and then kills her. So it's just this awesome, the get the, the only like out gay character in this fucking series is a, is murderer, a murderer. Great and, guys. Thanks. And has to murder the object of her affection because all lesbians become homicidally obsessed with the objects of their affection. Like it's just so many, like I said it that way because it's just so many fucking horrible queer horror tropes all in one little rolled up into one up trash thing. bag it's made up it didn't happen it has nothing if you look at the arnie johnson case and you're like how come the arnie johnson case doesn't mention the similar ritualistic murders that appeared at the same time of his murder because it seems like a bunch of people were murdering and they were also possessed by demons and it feels like that would have come up it's because they were made up it's because they made them up for the movie so that was ridiculous but it turns out that the, the demon that possessed the little boy was put there on purpose by a Satanist. And that Satanist puts a totem 
somewhere in your house and then and that invites the demon in to get you and so it got the little eight-year-old boy and then ended up getting arnie and it got this college-age lesbian and her friend and then the end of the fucking movie the twist is remember 45 minutes ago when we introduced that really old you know warren's but better reverend guy that showed up for no reason and then never really came up again he had a secret daughter that he raised alone, just him and her on a in a house on a compound away from society. And would you know it? That type of childhood led her to become a Satanist who hated her father so much that she kills him. She just murders him. And apparently that crime is never reported because then she disappears. And because there was no record of her ever existing, her death is never reported, which means that they definitely don't know who killed that priest. And they don't know who killed the. I mean, like the other thing is, is like her. She gets killed by the demon at the end, right? Yeah. So and the she, demon her body's just like, like, if she can't get somebody else to be killed, the demon will kill her. And so, yeah, he needs the soul. Yeah. It's all about needing the soul. That's always what the demon wants. Nom 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 nom. Delicious. Yeah, I just so. Anything I've had, like, about the other two movies has been, like, they make up stuff and, and I've always felt like, well, they walk a line where they don't make up enough of the case that you could, that you could still justify right. it being the warrants. Now they're at this point, it's like, they have made so much up of this case. You could just make these movies way more enjoyable if you were like, it's based on a true story and our protagonists are Ed and Lorraine wilson or right? what the fuck ever right like just not ed and lorraine right like, like once don't again i'm asking myself why did you pick this case pick a different ed and lorraine warren case make up a fake ed and lorraine case that's what they did they did <laughs> shit just make up shit like they did why did you feel you needed to do this case and then you ignored the details of this case wrote a different case and then shoehorned this one into it barely focused on the actual trial like no part of this movie made sense the only thing i was cautiously like excited about was i thought we were also going to get the like trial but i thought it was going to be like we're gonna go through and give you the greatest hits of like what these ed and lorraine cases are and we're going to use these different ed and lorraine cases in a court of law to prove that demons are real. It, when he's talking to the defense attorney, he's like, I've proved demons are real hundreds of times. He just says it. Edward, with a straight face, just says to a fucking lawyer, I've proved demons are real hundreds of times. I have so much evidence. And it's like, cool, do it. No, I was just waiting for them to do it. And they didn't. So why set it up? It was fucking baffling. It's so bizarre. It's, it's just, like somebody made them. It's like Lorraine Warren's will was like, you can keep making Conjuring Universe movies, but you have to make a movie about the Arnie Johnson case. That's what it feels like. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is there's too many references to horror movies. Oh, God, uh, we, yes. We get it. <laughs> You've seen horror movies. It was so bad. The very first, like, five minutes, the very first shot, because it starts with the exorcism. And so if it starts with the exorcism. The random priest they always have to get, because then Lorraine aren't allowed to do them themselves, shows up dressed like the exorcist from the exorcist. It's raining. He does his own little, look, did you guys see the exorcist stand in front of the house looking up shots? And then the movie starts. And it's like, you really started this movie and your first money shot was a ripoff of The Exorcist? I mean, like, I don't mind that as, like, a movie tactic. Like, Tarantino does that. Like, that's basically a Quentin Tarantino movie. Is See, just, and, like, like we, said, we watched it together. And when you said that, we watched it. And I was like, the difference is that Quentin Tarantino typically hopes you didn't see the movie he's ripping off. That's and fair. this one is, like, right? Right? Wink, wink. And it's so jarring. Because I don't mind an homage. I really don't. But give me, like, give me a twist. Make it Ed and Lorraine Warren looking up. Make it, like, you have to do something besides being, like, remember this this shot from this better movie? It's just... But you can't, like, my problem with that shot specifically is, like, in The Exorcist, when The Exorcist shows up and we get that shot, it's, like help is coming the cavalry is coming and this priest literally gets clowned out like five seconds into the exorcism like he gets hit in the head with a plate and so ed's doing the exorcism and anyway. he does it himself anyways what's the point 
stop coming up with reasons why they have to get rid of the priest so that Ed can do the exorcism. Like that one, I think someone did. A, I was looking at the thing. There's like a pop sugar article. Oh, maybe it's a video. I should have watched the video. But he says the guy was like, he loves making love letters to horror movies. And the one that got me was one I don't think will get a lot of people because they just haven't seen it. But the Satanist in the end of the movie, because I went back and watched Audition, the part of Audition I was thinking of. There's a part in the Audition, if you haven't seen that movie, spoilers for a very old Japanese horror movie. There's a part where the main girl in Audition is taking acupuncture needles and she's sticking them into like the eyes and the tongue and she's just and she makes this very distinct noise when she's doing it she's like the satanist starts doing that when she has lorraine like down on the ground with a knife and it's almost identical to it like the same noise and i was just like are they just badly trying to reference audition like, what is yeah. going on with all of these? Like, it literally was, like, so distracting that you were just like, is that, a, is that a reference? Are you trying to, like, tell me? I get it. You've seen horror movies. I would hope you've seen horror movies. Yeah. You're directing a horror movie. That's the difference between an homage and what, what they did continuously throughout The Conjuring 3. Because we watched it with, what, there were four of us. And all four of us, when that first exorcism shot came up, we all went, oh, yeah, you, we've all seen The Exorcist too. You know, yeah. nobody was like, oh, it was literally just like, yeah, we've all seen The Exorcist. No one was and the waterbed, isn't the, wa the waterbed is very similar to Johnny Depp getting yanked down into his waterbed and then spit and back then, up, right? It was just like, I get it. You get it. We get it. We all get it. You grew up watching horror movies. That, the crafting around this movie makes me mad. Just like the actual, like, cinematography and the just like the cinematography and the like things that would be under the guise of the directors all the actors again came to play like you like to see that most horror movies don't have actors who are like down to be in it and be ridiculous about it and just like go for it we've never had that problem with the actors in the country they've always cast people who are just like down to chew on the entire scenery in the room which i appreciate the thing that was just like the other thing that's like a hallmark of this series is a trick shot. There's always some cinematographer, super hard to execute, fluid trick shot. In the first Conjuring, it's the one, there's a bunch of them in the first Conjuring. But the one that I always remember is the girl is looking under her bed when she hears the hand clap. And instead of cutting back away from her, the camera follows her all the way up. And around so you see the whole span of the room like you're coming from her perspective there was not one see that's all non-traditional like, cinematography trick shot in this movie which is just like strange because all of them even the nun has them a lot of the rona didn't and that was also directed by this guy but those are the two that don't well i mean that's not a conjuring movie so that one doesn't count okay well then it's this all one right. that doesn't have this it the only one that doesn't that's not a I hope that The Conjuring does its own La Llorona and that one doesn't count because they're doing one that like is about La Llorona <laughs> I hope someone Latino or Latina does a La Llorona that's what yeah. I want I want like a real La Llorona the, the La Llorona on Shudder is really good is that the war criminal one yeah okay yeah that one's good that's true but it's also not like it's really good, but because it's like, you know, very much a using La Llorona as a metaphor, as like a fable and like to tell a different story. I would, it's still not like a movie that's about just La Llorona and, the, and a retelling of the myth of La Llorona or using La Llorona in a conventional way. It's still an unconventional one. It's just And I think better. it's like sad in that like I think it's sad that we don't get a movie because like I have a friend who is like, yeah, my mom used La Llorona for everything. You get your ass home from school by five o'clock or La Llorona is going to get you. Like she will snatch you and take you away. Right. Like and that's like an experience for like lots of like Latino and Latina people in the United States. And it would be cool to see like that actual myth and that actual like. Makes Story. me think of that, I don't remember which paranormal activity, one of the ones that wasn't a number, where it had a, a largely Latino cast, and you got to see just, like, Latino culture's reaction to 
supernatural horror. Natural horror, yeah. I like, but it's like Latino American reactions to supernatural horror. And it was a really, you know, those movies weren't good, but that one part of it kind of kept me going where I was just like, that part's so cool. Like seeing like how their grandma reacts to them being like, there's ghosts in this house, grandma. Like, yeah. yeah, it was just like, yes, you don't get to see enough of that. It would have been cool. It would be cool to one day get that in a good goddamn movie. <laughs> Cause the conjuring, it was either the marked ones or the, I think it was the marked ones. I think it's yeah, the marked ones. This wasn't good. But that was good. Yeah. I that move I have very mixed feelings about that whole series. I like it yeah. in that I like the overarching lore that they have built on that series over those movies. And some of them have executed it better than I others. absolutely adore the first three movies from the Paranormal Activity series. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. The other ones I haven't watched that much. I think I've watched each of the other ones once. And then I was like, I don't want to hurt myself anymore. <laughs> It's fair. It's fair. I also want to talk about there's a whole member of this family that doesn't exist in this movie because he sued the Warrens when Gerard Brittle, who we've talked about before, he sued Warner Brothers about whether they had life rights or not. And then that was a whole mess. You can go back and listen to the other podcast where I talk about it. It's just like a big messy thing with him. He got sued and Ed and Lorraine got sued when they republished the book in 2006. The guy, like, doesn't want anything to do with any of this. He even was out giving interviews this week. He was out talking to the Washington Post about it. I don't want to do this. Please just leave me alone. This doesn't... My brother's gone through enough because he had some mental illness, and, like, he's worked really hard to get past that. Why are you doing this to us? Like, we have, like, we remember our mom and dad when the Warrens came over and were like, this will make you millionaires and help your daughter's husband in his legal defense. And it did, to be honest. He got five fucking years for murdering a dude. Like, yeah, they weren't wrong. And that's what's fucked up about this. They helped a dude get away with murder. They really did. That's a real thing. And they got a fluff piece movie made about it. And the only thing I've seen trending is how, oh my God, the Warren's love story is so a couple goals. That's I all. Saw, I saw someone today be like, I need a love story. I need a romantic love story of the Warrens on Twitter. And I was like, what the? You can what find these- out about the 15 year old mistress. Cause yeah, that's, that's what these movies have become. But I don't even know what that, what are you saying? That's what these movies have been, right? And in the first two, that works to their benefit, especially in that second one. Ed the power and of love. Yeah, Ed and Lorraine's like love and tenderness and like being actual real people grounds that movie so that like the crooked man isn't just, the crooked man and Valak just aren't like these absolutely laughable like demons that are just rolling around that house. Now it's just all that and no de- like, it was just like all that and no demons. Like oh. I wasn't scared for any of that. And the thing is, is like the only people who seemingly were put in peril were the murderer. He gets like yeah. the demon, the Satanist gets control of him again in jail. So you're a little bit like, okay, is he going to die? But you can't die because I know how this ends. And they're probably not going to kill him off. And then like Ed and Lorraine, you're like Ed and Lorraine are alive. They're not going to die. This is the first one I have felt like no stakes for ed and lorraine possibly dying or something bad happening to them even though i know even in the other ones that nothing bad happens to them in real life but this one just there was just none of that fear there were no stakes in general because it was like you know he doesn't you know he know he killed somebody you know he's in jail you know the movie's not about the trial like what's the movie about it's not about the trial it's not it's just about ed and lorraine and how they deal with this like oh man we got to help this guy get away with murder. Oh, we didn't. Oh, um, the father, Carl Glacial Sr., also denies that he told Jared Brittle that his son was possessed. So yeah. the dad, it's like the mom, it's like the mom, the sister, and Lorraine Warren. The sister who, who as a teenager, married a murderer, a drunk murderer who got out after five years and she still now lives with. The mom who, in the first place, agreed to do it for the money, according to everyone else in the family. And, you know, on occasion, the youngest child who this was a child when it happened and has a long history with dealing with mental illness. Like, that's... Welcome to horror movie true crimes. It's never fun. Yeah, it, it sucks. And, like, this is for the first time. I mean, I guess I guess that Ted Bundy movie wasn't all that long ago. But I feel like they've gotten better at it. Like, 
Haunting in Connecticut is I was thinking based about Haunting in Connecticut true. the entire time. It's based yeah. on an Ed Lorraine Warren story. They just wrote them right. out of it. And it was yeah. great. Have Virginia Madsen. That's true. I liked Haunting in Connecticut. It's what got me excited for The Conjuring. So I was like, oh, it's more Ed Lorraine Warren stories. But like they're actually in it. So that's, I guess, cool. Whatever. I want to talk about the insane interview that Vera Famaga had. Because it's, like, absolutely wild. I'll, I will link it in the show notes. But she has a interview while she's doing press for this movie where she is like, you don't believe in spiritual warfare? Do you not believe in spiritual warfare? And the guy's like, no, I don't believe that you can, that a devil possessed anybody and can make them murder. I think people could be evil or people can have mental problems and, like, that makes people murder. And she's like three seconds from like being like the devil actually made this guy do it before like Patrick Wilson like comes in and is like, so that was great. I love that. That's great. You love watching us make these movies. Great. <laughs> Get you a co-star that will save you like Patrick Wilson. I don't know. It's, it's not a great movie. And then on top of it not being a great movie, it's also immoral to make this movie the way that they made it. <laughs> and it's not even fun bad. Like when we were done watching it, it was just kind of like, oh man, I want to do something fun now. But, you know, we're tired and old. And that was just like, it just kind of made it, everybody kind of meh. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about The Conjuring 3? I hate the fact that if I want to see big budget horror movies, I have to hope this movie does well. And I'm mad at it for that, too. You gotta hope that it's the big budget horror movie we got right now. Like, because most horror is ruled by Blumhouse and they do a great job on small budgets. But, like, I really like beautifully made horror movies. There's something good about, like, really good cinematographers and people who are willing to put that money in on practical effects. Shout out to the Haunting series on Netflix, though, because you want to talk good cinematography and trick shots. Trick shots in the in both seasons of that show slash those two shows, however you think of them. Amazing. All right. That's what I'm going to have to check out. So that's going to do it this week for Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 7. Where can we find you, Kaylee? You can find me at Quirk of Art XD on Twitter, which is where I spend most of my time. But if I'm not on Twitter, it's because I'm streaming. And I just do that at Quirk of Art because it's less letters. And you can find the ghostess at a Halloween club. That's where you can talk to me about horror movies. You can find my personal Twitter at Miss MissNintendeek64. So you know the drill. Good night. Sleep. Or don't.